Galatians 5:16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, you are kind, you are good, you are true, and you are faithful. And I pray now, please strengthen me. Strengthen me to preach your word to all these, your people, that their hearts may be receiving the word implanted. They may receive the word, not as the words of a man, but as what they are, the word of the living God. And we would receive it with the joy of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So, Father, we look to you to do what only you can do in our hearts. There's many needs, many burdens, many cares, many concerns in this room. And I pray that you would speak from this passage of Scripture and touch them all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the book of Galatians, um, as some of you may know, is called the has been called the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. And uh, it teaches that, that we were once in bondage. All of us, we were once in bondage under the, the condemnation and the curse of the law. Are we good to go? We were once in bondage under the condemnation and the curse of the law but that Christ has come and he has set us free. That's what we've been preaching about these weeks. The book of Galatians also teaches that we were uh, slaves. We were slaves to sin. But now that Christ has come, uh, we are God's adopted, beloved children. This is the good news of the gospel. The, 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 really the rallying cry, that sort of uh, 
statement that 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 banner that flies over the book of Galatians is found in chapter 5 verse 1 where Paul announces it is for freedom that Christ has set us free that's the rallying cry of this book but Paul also wants us to know in this letter that that Christian freedom is is not a free for all it's it's not freedom to sin, it's freedom from sin. And that's why in chapter 5, verse 13, he writes this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Christ did not set us free. Christ did not die and rise again in order for us to indulge our selfish and our sinful desires. He died and rose again to set us free to love others and to serve them. text that we're looking at this morning that Daisy read for us is really just a a deeper dive and a fuller exploration of verse 13 that I just read. See, Paul is saying in this passage that if we are going to love, if we are going to experience the freedom that is able to love and serve others, we can only do that as we walk by the Spirit. See, Christian freedom is about living by the Spirit of God. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I have four things to say about walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is necessary. Walking by the Spirit is difficult. Walking by the Spirit is evident. And walking by the Spirit is with Christ. So let's begin by looking at the necessity of walking by the Spirit. In verse 16, Paul says, I I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now let me put this as, as plainly as I possibly can to you this morning. When it comes to living the Christian life, there is absolutely no neutrality. We're either walking by the Spirit or we are gratifying the desires of the flesh. There is no neutral ground. There is no neutral place that we can sort of hide out between those two poles. Please hear me. Christian living is life in Christ through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
It is impossible to be a Christian apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Impossible. That's why in Romans 8, 9, Paul says that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. To put that more positively, we can say that Christian living is living in a way that is in harmony with the Spirit. Or as Paul says in verse 25, it's in step with the Spirit. Therefore, it's, it's completely out of step. It's out of step with the Spirit when we're gratifying our selfish and sinful desires. Paul spells out just how serious this is for us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, where he writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So let me lean in with you this morning and ask, how are you living? Is your life characterized by sowing to the flesh, to your sinful and selfish desires? Or are you sowing to the Spirit? Are you going to reap corruption? Or are you going to reap eternal life? Which is it? The thing that we need to know here this morning is that walking by the Spirit is is not some added extra for super-Christians. Walking by the Spirit is an absolute necessity for every Christian. The second thing I want to point out this morning is that walking by the Spirit is not easy. It's difficult. There's no McDonald's drive through approach to the Christian life. In verse 17, Paul says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Here, Paul is telling us that walking by the Spirit, it's not like taking a leisurely stroll um, in, a, in a park on a, on a sunny summer Sunday afternoon. It's nothing like that at all. In fact, walking by the Spirit is like walking headfirst into a gale force wind. Walking by the Spirit meets fierce and persistent opposition every step of the way. This isn't easy. Paul says that our our sinful desires are waging war against the desires of the Spirit. And on the other hand, the desires of the Spirit are waging war against our sinful desires. The, the, The heart of every Christian is a battleground. Or at least it ought to be. The heart of every Christian ought to be a battleground. And if it isn't, that might be an indication 
If there's no battle going on in your life, it might be an indication that you're a Christian in name only, which means no Christian at all. This is the life. It's not easy. You know, before I became a Christian, I had no idea how strong my sinful desires really were. But when I turned from my sin, I repented of my sin, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ, then I began to experience some things. There was inner turmoil. There was torment. There was difficulty. With all, you know, pardon my French, but all hell broke loose. I was, I was so discouraged. I, I felt so defeated. And then you know what happened? A guy I met, he was kind of discipling me along a little bit. He pointed me to Galatians 5.17. And he said, do you see all this that's going on? That's evidence of spiritual life. You shouldn't be discouraged. You should be encouraged. He helped me see that everything I was experiencing was an indication that the Spirit was at work in my life. The Spirit was desiring things against my flesh. The Spirit was waging war against the selfishness that I had been indulging for years. And the fight was on. Here's the thing we need to know. Walking by the Spirit is not passive. It's not let go and let God. The Bible doesn't teach anything like that. That's a lie. Walking by the Spirit is active. Walking by the Spirit is engaged. We're on active duty. We're to be fully engaged in the fight. We're to be locked and loaded. Now, I can imagine somebody here this morning hearing me and and seeing what verse 17 says, thinking, well, what about the victory, Fred? What about the victory? I, I thought Jesus won the battle against sin and Satan for us. Is the best that we can hope for just some sort of spiritual stalemate? Is that what verse 17 teaches? Well, the answer is no. The answer is no. Jesus has won the battle for us. Through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, the penalty for sin has been paid in full. And the power of sin has been brought to an end. But, but, we are not yet free from the presence of sin. We are not yet reigning with Christ in glory. See, walking by the Spirit It's about fighting from freedom for freedom. That's what Paul's talking about here. As we walk by the Spirit, we fight from a position of freedom, but we fight for freedom. We are already free in Christ, 
And every Christian longs for and looks forward to the fullness of the freedom that he has secured for us through his crucifixion and his resurrection. There's a tension there. Theologians call this tension the already not yet tension. Christ has accomplished our salvation. He said on the cross, it is finished. But one day he will return to complete it all. Another way of explaining this is by saying that we live between the inauguration and the consummation of Christ's kingdom. We live between that time. There's a tension there. And the Bible teaches that the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the guarantee and the assurance that we truly do belong to God. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says that in Him, that is Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. See, the Holy Spirit that we have received as a gift from God is the down payment, the the guarantee, the assurance to us that the war has been won. But there are still many battles yet to fight. Theologian Oscar Coleman illustrates this biblical tension that I've been talking about, this tension between the already and the not yet. Oscar Coleman uses uh, two dates from World War II to illustrate this. On June 6, 1944, the Allied forces, the United States, Great Britain, and Canada, uh, landed successfully on the beaches of Normandy, France, and they secured a position there. This day is famously known as D-Day. And with all the troops from D-Day, from June 6, 1944, all the troops and all the tanks and all the trucks and all the equipment that began to move into Western Europe, from that point, on that date, the victory of the Allies was assured. It was virtually guaranteed. The Nazis were going to lose and Hitler was going to fall. And this is why D-Day is remembered as, as probably the decisive victory of the whole war. But VE Day, or Victory in Europe Day, didn't come until May 8th, 1945. And that meant that between D-Day and VE Day, there was still 336 days of fighting. And history records for us that some of the fiercest fighting of the whole war took place during that period. So Oscar Coleman compares Christ's 
victorious resurrection and Christ's return at the end of the age, he compares those two things to D-Day and V-E-Day. The war has been won, yet there are many battles still to fight. The third thing I want to show you from this text this morning is that walking by the Spirit is evident. It's evident. It's obvious. Look at verses 19 to 23. We read, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We'll look at these verses more in the coming couple of weeks, but now what I want you to notice is just what a stark contrast those two lists are to one another. Here's the thing. There's no such thing as an incognito Christian. If our lives are characterized by the desires and the deeds of the flesh, we're not Christians. We're still in bondage. No matter what we might tell ourselves or tell other people. Walking by the Spirit invariably produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Over time, what happens is, is we put on the characteristics of Christ's likeness. That, that is inevitable if we walk by the Spirit. And as we go along, we gradually put off all of the selfish and the sinful desires. Maybe not all of them. Not, the best of us leap into, uh, limp into heaven. But we, we put off the selfish and the sinful desires and habits that were typical of our old life. Contrasts like this in Galatians 5 are very common in the New Testament, very common in Paul's writings. For example, in Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24, we read this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Later in Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Here's the contrast. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then in Colossians 3, verses 5 to 10, he instructs us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then in verses 12 to 14, Paul writes, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is just a sample. I could go on and on, but I I think you get the point. The the Spirit of God desires to radically transform us. We, We don't have to have phenomenal spiritual discernment to be able to tell the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. It's evident. It's obvious. And the Spirit of God at work in your life will not fail to transform you from the inside out and produce in your life the character of Christ little by little over time. Remember I said a couple weeks ago, this is not a hundred yard dash. This is an ultra marathon. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, take heart. I know sometimes your heart feels like a battleground. Be encouraged. That's evidence that the Spirit is at work in your life, opposing the desires of the flesh. Take heart. Jesus reigns. Jesus is at work by His Spirit to transform you. Lean in. Get engaged. Fight the fight. We will have the victory. That brings me to my fourth and final point. Walking by the Spirit is with Christ. In verse 24, Paul writes, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here, Paul is helping us to see both how to wage and to win the warfare against our sinful desires. This verse here reminds us of what Paul said earlier in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In 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 Galatians 2.20, you'll notice that Paul is passive. He says that, I have been crucified with Christ. He is passive. This is what happened to him. But in Galatians 5.24, the verse we're looking at this morning, we are active. Paul says, those who belong to Christ, that's us, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here, we are the ones who have crucified our sinful desires. We are our own executioners. So somebody might ask, well, when did that take place? Well, that took place when you repented of your sin 
and trusted Jesus and came under his lordship. You gave up your whole former life when you turned away from your sin, when you turned away from your selfish and sinful desires, and you trusted the crucified and risen and reigning Savior. See, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we've got to realize what the implications are. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, which always leads to the place of execution. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Reflecting on these very words, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. See, this is not about being encouraged and, and just fluffed up and helped along to feel better about ourselves. The Spirit of God wants to do a deep work. And it's, it's not going to be easy, but it will be radically transformative. And it'll be with Christ. He's in it with us. He's in it for us. We are not without hope. But if we are in Christ and with Christ and His Spirit is in us, we've got to consider ourselves to be dead to sin, crucified to sin. The power of sin cannot be allowed to reign over us or have any dominion over us. We mustn't feed or coddle or cultivate our sinful and selfish desires. We must crucify and kill them through repentance and self-denial. We must be ruthless and merciless with our sin. It must be crucified with Christ. Jesus used some pretty strong language about sin. And on one occasion in Matthew 5, he used an imagery using hyperbole to to express to us what our attitude towards our sin should be. He says in verses 29 to 30, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. See, we cannot, we must not enter into peace negotiations with our sinful and selfish desires. That outrages the Spirit of God and it spits on the cross of Christ our Savior. He died for us. He's claimed you. He's bought you with his precious blood. It is our sin that drove him there. It is our sin that drove the nails into him. Finally, in verse 25, Paul writes, If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Life in Christ 
is life in the Spirit. And life in the Spirit is, is Christ's life in us. I live by faith in the Son of God. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, Paul says. Christ lives in a Christian. If Christ has taken up residence in our lives, it should be obvious. It should be evident. People should see it. The last thing I want someone to say is, you're a Christian? I never would have figured that out. Jesus says, let your your light so shine before others that they, they see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It ought to be obvious. There's no incognito Christians. And if we walk in step with the Spirit, He will do that deep work to radically reorient our hearts away from selfishness and away from sin toward loving God and loving others and serving them. That's the transformative work that the Spirit is doing in us. The language that Paul uses here of keeping in step with the Spirit, it's a military term meaning staying in formation. It's a great reminder that that we don't do this alone. We're with others. We need to be in step with the Spirit with others in the church. I don't know where I'd be without others upholding me, praying for me, helping me, sometimes rebuking or correcting me. Much of the way in which we, we keep in step with the Spirit, it's, it's, it's worked out in small, ordinary, daily steps of faithfulness. Let me close with J.I. Packer. He says, The Spirit works through means, namely biblical truth, prayer, fellowship, worship, and the Lord's Supper. The Spirit shows His power in us, not by constantly interrupting our use of these means with visions, impressions, or prophecies, but by making these regular means effective to change us for the better and for the wiser as we go along. Christ City, Let us commit ourselves by the grace of God to walk with Christ and to keep in step with His Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you please, I pray, do a deep work in our hearts. Father, some of us... um, Some of us have resisted the conviction of your spirit. Some of us have have dulled our consciences. And we, we have indulged and we have gratified the desires of our flesh. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring in the Holy Spirit's work upon our hearts to go to war. That his desire to conform us to the image of your dear son would be greater and that he would gain the victory over our selfishness and our sin and we would engage in the battle and that we would crucify our flesh 
that we might more fully and freely and completely live into the freedom for which Christ has set us free. Pour out your Spirit upon us afresh, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.